This podcast is proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm a guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've uh, spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, uh, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle please get in touch with us on our facebook page follow us like us whatever it takes we would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as i know this industry is capable of morning doc Good to have you back in the uh, studio again. I see you've got a new mask on again today. You've been <laughs> overwhelmed with your social responsibility in the last you couple got, of weeks. You've got to try your best, Gordon. And I see you've got a very fancy Hawaiian shirt on today. It's bring on summer. You know, I, <laughs> only reason I'm not wearing sunglasses in the studio is because I can't see the screen. <laughs> so otherwise I'd be going for summer. Yeah, I know I've, I've had enough. I want summer now. Yeah. Uh, proper summer that is, not just on a calendar, but sun, actual <laughs> sun. All right. But what we do have with us in a rare and exciting turn of events is another human being in the studio with us. We've got Corin Duchenne, who is the Chief Growth Officer uh, for Cantor, Africa and Middle East. And great to have you here. We, we, we get excited when we get real people in studio instead of Zooming. Not that well done, Zoom. We love what you've done for the world. But Corin, thanks for coming in this morning. Great to be here today, uh, Gordon. And as a data person, I must just point out that uh, the weather um, does not show that your summer's coming. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's summer when you wear a summer shirt. That's hard work. Floral shirts will bring on the sun. That's important. But talking about bringing on new and exciting things, Corin, I mean, you tweeted the other day about something which I didn't understand at all. Mm. So I've had, uh, through the benefit of search, automatic content, re or content recognition, ACR is what you were talking about and how it's going to revolutionize the world. Content recognition, not, not to be confused with remembering the names of actors that you see on the screen or television that's not content recognition that's just sound memory okay what on earth is automatic content recognition and why is it going to change our world in advertising absolutely yeah so i think um as the tweet pointed out this is um, a big area of growth across the world and the reason for that is the huge switch that we're seeing from the old-fashioned ways of watching listening 
consuming media in a linear way to the non-linear way. That is, we watch it when we want to, where we want to, how we want to. And the content recognition allows us to be able to measure that, identify that, and to really get to the bottom of um, what people want, when they want it, and, and to learn from that so we can improve our media effectiveness. So as a research group, and Kantar, obviously one of the, the biggest research groups in the world, how do you get involved with this? I mean, for me, that is, sounds like digital you know, sort of fingerprinting and artificial intelligence, but how do real people get involved with that? Or are you moving into the, the Microsoft Google tracking arena? Well, I'd say that the real person uh, content recognition that we all know is Shazam, which is when we're at a party, we no. hear a, a piece of music we love, we quickly shazam it to put it to um, our playlist. That is content recognition. It, it does an audio match with a, a database of, of um, it's a huge, huge, huge database of all music, and it identifies that this is this song by this artist. That's the most simplest form of content recognition that I can describe. But as, as a research company, as an insights agency, the reason it's important to us is we need to be able to measure uh, what media is being consumed so that advertisers can find out which one's giving them the ROI they want. And in the olden days, we used to just put a little machine onto the TV and we'd look at what people do or we'd um, ask people what they listen to on the radio and that was all fine. But in the current day, some of us are listening, we're tweeting, we are doing whatever and we need new methods to be able to identify what people are doing. And that's where um, automatic content recognition comes along. Doc, I mean, you've always been strong on information-based kind of insights to drive marketing decisions. Um, are you a you know, fan of, of digital fingerprinting or are you a clipboard and out in the bush Q&A kind of guy? Yeah, or is it a bit of both? Yeah, I think, Gordon, I mean, if you look at, you know, over time, I guess, you know, and, and one's got to move with the times. And, and you know, Corin, firstly, welcome from my side and thanks for your time to share with us. I think you, yeah, I want to say change has been around with us for forever and, and will be, Gordon, but certainly the last year, the world has been shaken up, you know what I mean? And across all platforms, you know, in, t in terms of, of media consumption, and I know, uh, Corin, we're going to chat about your, your trends and your new report and trends analysis. And I mean, one of the lead in, to answer your question uh, very quickly, Gordon, is, is certainly move, I've moved with the times as well, you know, in terms of understanding new ways of tracking. We've spent a lot of time on the show over the last year chatting about digital, whether it's an integrated service or the old school, whether it was a separate silo thing. And, and I think we've all agreed that that's very old school thinking. Digital is part of mainstream and we've spoken to some big brand owners and media houses. So um, the tracking tools have to go with it and, and, and marketers, as we've always said, have to educate themselves and stay on top and, and work with not just Cantor, but Cantor-like companies who have got great insights. And what I used to not enjoy is data for the sake of data. You know, I'm not a big fan of that. I've never been a big fan of that. I've been a big fan of telling me what it is. And if I want to delve into your methodology, your geographics, all of that stuff, I'll get to it. What are my takeouts as a marketer? What do I need to know? But I must trust the source. I must know that you are telling me something. And if you're telling me that today it's, it's content recognition, I must know that you, Cantor, have got the resource and the backing to buy in. Because I don't have time to go and do a trust audit on my partners. I do that up front. Once I've got the info, then it's a question of how do I use the info? And I, was, I don't want to say I was lazy, but I like that good exec summary and I hate a bad presentation. You know, I can't have researchers come in and waffle. Uh, so you've got to land it quickly. 
and tell me what I need to know, and then I'll use it from there. But I mean, yeah, Corin, so uh, I'd love to chat about, and I know Gordon's got a few questions on in terms of your new trend report, specifically around this crazy world of last year and into this year. Yeah, we'll get there in a moment, but um, you were nodding your head sagely and enthusiastically <laughs> while the doc was speaking, so... Uh, yeah, well, I need to talk fast and yeah. be very succinct and to the point. Otherwise, I'm going to get labeled with that stereotype. Waffling was the word of, he used. Um, <laughs> waffling? I, I wrote of, it down. Waffling. Of the researcher. But, um, you know, the new tools are really, uh, they um, empower the, the media planners to really know which part of their content is working much better. So some of the, the most common tools in ACR are to use things like digital fingerprinting, to do audio matching. And... We use, there's a number of tools. You can use an app where you just, it downloads an app and it just listens to everything that's happening. And when I say listen, it's not necessarily physical listening. It, it picks up the, an embedded digital watermark, which is put out by the broadcaster. So then the broadcaster can know, was this done, was this watched or listened to on satellite? Was it listened to on a streaming service? Was this listened to on a phone? Was it listened to on an iPad? Was it on a computer? And the tools itself, because each each time you listen to it, it's got a different sort of embedded digital fingerprint that allows you to understand which part of your content plan is working. And then if you know that it's gone more mobile, how do you change what you're doing to, to suit the small screen? Or if, if it's, you know it's a second screen activity, how do you make sure that what you're putting in your ads talks to what's going on on the television so that the online and, 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 and the linear are going together? So it's all the evolution of how we do things, and that's why we need the data. Yeah, I mean, um, in your digital report or your, your trend report, rather, for, for 2021, you talk about creative context and realizing anew that where uh, ads appear is just as important as, as what is said in the ad. And I've been a great advocate of mm. context, well, since day one, because that's what I was taught. You know, it's not just about the size of the audience. But uh, um, taking a step back, one of the concerns a lot of people have, you know, that this kind of implies artificial intelligence um, and I, I'm mindful of a phrase one of our previous guests Oresti Patricius used from you know, from Ornica that he doesn't like artificial intelligence he prefers augmented intelligence for AI which which makes sense to me there's a role for human mm. beings so a lot of this for me is suggestive that I still need to do my planning anyway yes. up front this moves into the kind of the marvelous area of adjusting campaigns on the fly in the past and your previous incarnation um you know as a, as, a, as a research agency we'd run a tv campaign we'd wait a month then you would come back with uh, what was impact information and you know if you're lucky you could adjust the campaign for your next burst seven months later but this is all about adjusting it on the fly absolutely and um uh, if you have to wait for a month now we should be fired um, so yes, we've we've moved into um, automating. So I prefer the word machine learning than artificial inter intelligence because it's it's picking up on patterns, it's looking for the things that normally happen, and it's automating those. So it's looking for exceptions and it's finding um, uh, real data that's happening. And we've used a lot of that intelligence to build into our tools to um, be able to overnight test and compare with um, past ads and which how does this stack up with, in terms of its impact in terms of the creative and um its effectiveness and i think that why would you use the old-fashioned things when there's something that's more effective and faster and enables us to do it but if you don't use your brain you are going to miss the boat so you still need that 
gut feel, understanding of your consumer. You need to know who you're targeting. You need to know what's their context. How has it changed over this past year? Because I don't think there's any one of us that has not got a change context over the past year. Yeah. And I think, sorry, Gordon, uh, thanks, Gordon. I think absolutely right. And I mean, one of the things, there's certain basics that stay in place, you know what I mean? Whether it's 2021, 2022, 2023, the basic premise of marketing is that you're trying to create or meet a need and to keep and nurture a customer. And, and, and then it's the tools, you know, and if you as a, as a modern day marketer are not a fan and not familiar with those tools, well, then you're going to get found out or your organization will suffer. So I think those are, are probably some obvious points that I'm trying to make there. Just let's talk a little bit about last year and, and your trends report that's come out now in terms of the change in consumer. Just some highlights from that uh, and, and what are the things to be looking out for that you would pick up uh, as the change consumer for the future? Yeah. So I think there's no facet of human life that has really stayed the, the same. So as the fundamental as a marketer, getting in touch and staying close to the ground on how your consumer has adapted. What are the things that they like about this new world that they're going to stick with what are the things that they can't wait to get back to the old normal um and as such which choices do we make when we're going to place our media to fit with the new context i think those are the things we need to get in touch and the we do the annual trends report every december just to set out a plan for the year of things as marketers we need to think about and the three kind of areas we focused on in that particular report is what parts of people's lives have changed or pivoted um, who are the people and where are they now? How do we meet them in a different way? And how are we going to use data and analytics to just be more effective in what we do? We have to improve our RIIs because without fail, um, our research we've interviewed um, in a separate uh, piece of work, we've interviewed over 400 marketing CEOs and, and MDs about their plans for the next six to 12 months. And they're all saying budgets are under pressure, so they need to see the outcomes that they're looking for. Yeah, budgets under pressure. It's interesting um, that if we look at the reports coming out of Walk World Advertising Research Council, um, most budgets are returning to, to normal, i.e. where they were at the back end of 2019. There's kind of a leveling out right across the board, and in some cases even growing. And there's been a resurgence of interest in television, for instance, um, as a medium within the social media mix, which is really very, very interesting. Um, if I go back... One of the dynamics that, that you know, impact information uh, absorbed into your bigger family pioneered in this country was the concept of liking. Yeah. And, you know, Charles Foster in those days even wrote a paper which Correct. was in the site, you know, which if you know Charles, he will tell you is that there's any paper he ever had published, I think. But yeah. he's very proud of it. But, and I still use it because it's brilliant. And the paper was called an AR is not an AR. And he could show clearly that if, it, if your commercial was liked, you could flight it less. The savings were, were huge. Mm. So do you still track things like liking one? And then the next question is what we have discovered last year in 2020, that trust is a key factor. Are you tracking liking and trust? And how do, how do you put the two together? Yeah. So um, if we start with the first point about liking, I think let's think about it as human connection. When you touch that emotional heartstring of someone, it just breaks through the clutter. And we see, without fail, across ad test upon ad test, feedback across feedback, that creative impact and having that emotional response is the thing that has more impact on your media effectiveness than anything else. Not your channel, not your time, not your place. Just having really great creative um, and impacting people so that they like it. And our most popular event of the year at Kantar in South Africa is the best liked ads. 
And that is because we can really see that those ads that just um, get to the top, they, they break through the clutter. Those ones resonate. They touch people at that human level. And every time a coconut, if you watch those ads, you will see what it is. It's, that, it's, just, it's a dimension that's human. And I think in the current day, humanity is one of the things we all need to look at. Do you want me to go into the trust point? Yeah, or? go for it, yeah. Okay. So, absolutely, the way we are consuming media has changed. And trust is probably at an all-time low in terms of big companies, organizations, media, etc. because of the amount of fake news. People are more likely to trust their friends and family than they are to trust any kind of broadcast medium out there. So... I think we need to have that context in mind when we're thinking about things and how are we going to make sure that our authenticity comes through, that we're trustworthy. And there's a lot more pressure on media owners to get rid of fake content, to um, eliminate the people. We've seen what happened here with the Bell Pottinger situation. We've seen what happened with the election um, stuff in the U.S. We have to recognize that this is a changing thing that has to be taken into account. And the way we track that in terms of brands this is one of our dimensions on our brand z index is is brand trust and brand authenticity and and when people a brand is a signature of trust right so if you treat yourself the way you execute your creative you are in the right kind of context because you've understood understood your consumer that becomes an even stronger beacon of trust and the great brands are just growing and growing and growing in terms of value You're listening to The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media. Yeah, Corin, I think, you know, Gordon, just one of the things with brand trust, and it's not just now, it's brand delivery. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I've, I've worked on some good pieces of work where I'd like to think we delivered on, on what we said. And I've unfortunately worked on pieces of work where, for whatever reason, the system didn't work, the product didn't do exactly. The, you know, I mean, from the basic thing of buy now, and you and I have spoken at length about, say, a Black Friday type event where you know you don't have the stock. You've had 10 items, mm. you've got in small print, but you want to get people in, whether I say in online or in your store in, in, in historic times. And I think that's the kind of thing that just irritates people because it breaks down brand trust all the way through to, you know, some massive emotional campaigns but I, I battle I, I sometimes like it uh, but I battle to see the follow up and I look for the follow up and I say to myself I, I wonder when they're going to try sell me something and if they're going to because they're all in the business of selling me something it's just how they sell it and whether when at the point of sale in other words their follow up piece their product and retail piece is as engaging and do I like it as much as their big brand emotional piece so it's quite interesting how you look at degrees of trust through that value chain and then of course you know and, and I mean I haven't I guess later on in my career probably got better at this but initially I thought marketing was only for the consumer so I'd spend all my time and all my effort on just consumer facing marketing but I didn't realize well, I probably did realize but for whatever reason didn't do it the people who deliver the marketing it's Absolutely. not the marketing team mm. it's the cashier mm. it's the person that, you know it's the ux designer in, in modern day mm. times so how does that person buy into that big piece of emotive brand work and how do they foster trust it's no use me sitting mm. saying geez i've got a great piece of work so yeah it's multifaceted and, and again you know uh corin i mean I guess big brands know that or should know that and work through trust and make sure that the consumer, the takeout is something in a world of, of you know, fake news and, and, and all the other stuff you've spoken about. So maybe just to take a point, a step back to that, you said big emotive brand campaign. 
when I'm talking about emotional connection, it doesn't have to be the big emotive, you know, song and dance, beautiful piece of film, as some people would sometimes call it. It's about connecting in a relevant way with the consumer you are trying to sell to. And it's touching that. And if I look at some of the, the ads that did really well last year, they were very real and very relevant and very true to what people needed then and there. And it's just the way you do it. And if you understand your consumer and, and where they're at, you will get that connection. So, so on that point. Can you remember you know, one or two of the top ones? It would be interesting. Maybe we can try and put a link in here when we uh, publish. Do you remember who was top dog? No? Um, oh, there was there was many, and actually, I mean, some of them were um, the likes of um, school shoe, even school shoe ads, which not about school shoes themselves, but it's how does that mother feel? It's yes. just the whole when you really understand that human being context, and you bring it away in a relative and and, and creative way. It connects with people. I must say, I tend to agree with you on one thing. I mean, I've, I've watched those liked ads and I've used them in media training mm. workshops a lot over the years. You've been very kind over the years mm. to share those with me um, because it, it just helps to illustrate. But one thing always struck me is exactly what you said. It wasn't the high production value things. It's just sometimes the most simple. And what shocked me was how often retail ads performed well in that, not just yes, brand. Retail you know, you very, very kind of well. retail, you forget that retail can be creative as well. Yeah. It's not just brand and price. So, and I uh, actually think retail in South Africa responded to this crisis phenomenally. Mm. Look at the success of Checker 6060. Mm. Look at these new apps, the Bottles app, Pick and Pay, the way they yeah. came together. There's so many um, retailers that really responded to what people need and what they want. Um, but just returning to other brands that have done really well, the, the brand that saw the single most growth in sales in 2020 across the world is what? I want you to guess. No. A consumer brand. Around the world. Most everywhere. South Africa, the world. Everywhere. It's obviously a global brand. I don't even know where to start. Uh-huh. I was going to say, well, I'm spending a lot of time at home, so I want to be good and clean and fresh. I'm going to say toothpaste. You're in the right sort of realm, but the brand that we saw across our world panel measurement is Dettel. It's, oh, my it, it goodness. Grew, yeah. um, in stature across the world and in South Africa, that ad really spoke to people because it was a time when people needed more information and they, they wanted to know what to do. This really kick-started the sales. And, you know, Dettel had to respond and change the way they did their marketing because suddenly they were getting queries from hotel groups, from mm. businesses. Wow. And they were like, okay, we don't even have a professional services business. Mm, Let's yeah. figure this out. And they did so well. On, on, on responding to that consumer need and they saw the sales coming through the roof. Yeah, but it's, I guess it's that, that, that thing about, again, you know, I get back to degrees of what are you selling, you know, are you, are you just selling the product or are you selling what the product does or the service does for you? And again, you know, through the years, Gordon, we, we've worked on brands, we continue to work with brands where some people have a very narrow view of what they're doing and some other people have a far more uplifting not even category yes. uplifting, life uplifting view. So if you look yeah. at Dettel, which I didn't know the answer to that, but I mean, they're obviously selling something. I understand the product, but it's not that. It's, it's what it does. And in last year, it's safety, it's security, it's health, it's IG, peace of mind. You know, all of those things that are brand mm. attributes that are intrinsic. Now, I don't know the DNA of the Dettel brand, so I don't know whether they I can only imagine they, they are pretty obvious ones, you know, if I've just rattled them off now without really thinking. But it's all of that stuff, you know. Yeah. You speak about the school shoes. The function is to put your foot into something that keeps you. But it's not that. It's the future. It's education. And, and 
And I heard this expression from years ago. I worked for a guy and he said, one of the things he always looked at is your shoes. He says, because sometimes it tells me where you've come from and where you're going to go in, in his own way, you know. And, and, and so I would look at a dusty pair of school, polished shoes in the morning and, and dusty shoes in the afternoon, typically from a kid coming back from school. So it's not shoes. Yeah. It's, it's the future. You I know, think it talks the, to the point that you were making, Gordon, about brand action. Yeah. And if you think about um, probably the second um, fastest growing brand in the world was Lifeboy. And Unilever has been absolutely um, fastidious about being more purpose-led in the way that they, they, they deliver their, their marketing and their execution in terms of brands. And Lifeboy, I don't know if you remember that ad, they said, we don't care what you wash with, mm. but please yeah. wash. They just took, an, they took a category perspective and said, you know what, what matters now mm. is that we save lives, we wash. And they took a higher level more purposeful action as a brand, and this really also showed off. And that was also one of that was actually, I think, our number one ad um, that we wow, got. Wow, that, that, that's interesting, and that resonates a lot with your your brand's uh, top brand survey, where uh, brand purpose, I think, uh, yeah. has emerged as one of the core assets that that brands have. And that, uh, and I think, in your trends going forward, brands and action was a specific trend yeah. for for twenty twenty one, where. Um, what you're saying is the opportunities to succeed or fail are real. And while there's passion for a cause, uh, and it may be strong if brands are all talk and there's no action, you're going to go backwards. It's not just a case yeah. of it won't work. You will go backwards because you, now we come back into that breach yeah. of trust thing. Yeah, and if, you, if you've taken a, a bolder stance where you're actually going to stand for something that's going to impact people's lives and be more meaningful – then you need to follow through with that. And if I think about some of the things where um, some brands that have really had to take brave steps, the likes of um, Quaker Oats and Aunt Jemima having to look at the actual brand yeah, name. Yeah. Because when they understood how important Black Lives Matter is as a, as a human issue and they're making a stand as a brand, they've had to actually look at their brand itself. And they're looking at um, mm. how do they redress the things that are wrong about their brand name. To, to respond to the consumer reaction yeah. that's happening in yeah. the market. You're sharing vast amounts of information. Some of it is, uh, is available. I know obviously the top line reports are available. The detailed reports are, are subscriber-based. But how, how can our listeners get hold of you? Where can they find access to this kind of information? I've found it incredibly useful yeah. um, in day-to-day -day applications. It just gives you the reassurance when you make an statement to a client sure. – that your, part, your, that your observation is not some cowboy observation. It's part yeah. of a global trend. How, how can folks get hold of these, yeah. some of these so, reports? Um, we've uh, really tried to make um, as much of the information that's not proprietary to a client available as industry knowledge. So we have a couple of um, ways that you can engage with. Obviously, our website, there's a lot of content available. That's www.canto.com. And you can sign up for something that we call Roundup, which every week talks about what are the – what are the topics that are coming up? What are the webinars you can attend? They can be global, they can be local. And then locally, um, there is none other than our marketing director, Ilza Dinner, for keeping you up to date on what's happening and all things marketing. And she's got a very comprehensive content plan for the rest of the year. And if you just Google Ilza Dinner and find her on LinkedIn, she will put you in touch with everything that's happening. Yeah. We do have a way to sign up for our mailing list that invites you to all of those seminars. Um, and learning pieces over the year. And then we also publish on our, on our um, news points, which are on Biz Community, Red. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've, I can attest to, to that from, from Elsa that uh, I get invited to all sorts of things I would not normally be invited to. That's been one of the great things about 
this whole lockdown thing is I, I got to go to global conferences, which I wouldn't have ever got to before. So I, I've had quite a glorious year in terms of information, and long may that uh, may that continue. Um, just bringing it back um, to one of the trends which you identify in the report, and I'm conscious now we get into wrap-up time as well, um, e-commerce. Yeah. And brands' response to uh, to e-commerce and how they adapt to that is is crucial. And linking that back to our starting point on automatic content recognition, I mean that surely has got to be the end play. If you can recognize the content, you can recognize the individual, you can close out the transaction in one sealed piece of communication. Yeah. So I think um, e-commerce. They say that e-commerce got a five-year boost. Um, in lockdown, yeah. that people that would never have shopped online were forced to shop online because they were afraid to go out. And um, we've seen a huge surge, actually, in what they call the centennial and the silver surfer commerce um, coming through. Why are you looking at me when you said silver <laughs> surfer? <laughs> yeah, well, is, I wasn't going to say This kind of discrimination, Doc, that's <laughs> got to be eliminated. And um, so yeah. I think, you know, when you think about that, um, you know, we used to managing a planogram in a, in a store. But how are we managing our impact on an online site? How do we make sure that our choices are coming up first, that we are um, influencing the retailer to up, up the game in terms of our, our brand? And then also, why don't we own some of that ourselves so that we also offer direct-to-consumer to channel? And, you know, the, the content recognition can, can identify pack, product, face, words, sounds, all of that stuff to get a closer targeting over time and and we've seen a big um especially from the multinationals a big growth in direct consumer channels and um you'll get brands that say let's own hair right and how people walk cleanse and how they get their hair shiny and beautiful and um not dry and all of the, th the things that are, and and then you'll use those search terms to get you ultimately to the product and mm. then ideally you can then get people into an annuity relationship with mm. you so right now i go to the shop I come back, I've got my product. But when I get there, I might um, be influenced to buy something else. But if, if you've got me signed up that every month my brand of shampoo comes to your home, suddenly I'm in a long-term relationship with you mm. that's more secure. And I think that's what direct-to-consumer does. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, they like the Dollar Shave Club and the likes. I certainly have my e-pet store where I buy my dog food. Very important uh, part of my life for my doggy dogs. Yeah. But... Um, Every month, they say, like, I'll give you 20% off if you sign up for me to drop this off every month. I haven't actually done it because mm. I like some, I'm not sure if I want to give, I don't know how much the dogs eat and yeah. all of that stuff. Mm. But actually, I should just take the 20% discount and take a smaller pack. Mm. Um, and then and they're in a relationship with me. I never have to think about that decision yeah. again. Yeah. It yeah. becomes into file 13 and just cash in the bank. Mm. I think, yeah, absolutely. Now, I look at, um, you know, on your earlier point around, around, you, you spoke the 60-60 in bottles and a lot of those, you know, Woolworths curbside pickup, mm. macro lockers, you know, a lot of that stuff was, was, has been accelerated, as mm. you say, because of the artificial nature of last year, but to the betterment of consumers. And I'm 
absolutely convinced that a lot of people will not go back to their old behavior absolutely. because of conven- because of real convenience yeah. and it works. And I mean, again, I don't, I don't want to give the name of the person, but it, it's one of the finalists I'm judging marketer of the year. And um, in talking to this company about their integrated retail systems, really clever stuff, eh? but like really high level stuff um, in terms of getting to know the consumer, serving them exactly what they want, understanding the consumer patterns, the buying behavior. So it's, it's absolutely t- so again, you know, I think people are getting smarter. Of course, there's always the issue of how invasive is it, and, and you've got to get your own personal mind past that point of saying, do you want to share info? How versus the convenience and. Um, the upside benefit of that. The second point I just wanted to make, Gordon, you made the point of of, of literally traveling the world on, on your computer this year, as a lot of us have. And, and again, you know, as we've always said to our listeners, this is very much a not a conversation just between three of us today, uh, although it's great. It's about leaving some sort of a plan that you can get. To, if you're a young marketer, get part of the conversation, get onto Cantor's site, educate yourself, and also surf the world. You know what I mean? There's certain things that you could do now that you could practically not do you couldn't afford it the average person both in time and money to travel around so so do that and then just as we're heading towards the end gordon corin just one last question from our side i'm interested in the whole svod on demand video we've all found ourselves in that way i I Mm. think for me personally i've left linear tv a lot sooner than I thought yeah. you know I got into two screens a year ago a few few years ago at least not a year ago which I was at the time said that's ah, not really for me I'm on a two sc- I watch TV then I work on my computer so two screening and then a while ago we spoke with Ryan Williams remember uh, from yep. Sturkinical and the big issue with Hollywood is release windows. Their big thing was release to big screen a window, and then it goes into iTunes. And those days are gone. And we saw yeah. that with Disney and Mulan. Yeah, and I mean, so they didn't have a blockbuster launch. Yeah. No, so let's just talk a little bit, you know, as we're heading to <coughs> towards the end, just your take in, in the research yeah. report, the future of uh, watching on demand. Yeah, I think there's no company more grateful for 2020 than Disney+. Plus. Who, uh, you know, in their business plan, they were hoping to get 60 to 90 million people by 2024. They got, I think they were on the latest count, they want 84 million customers already. Mm. And it just became an opportunity where people, they need to get away from the pressures they're facing. And, and so streaming has just become an everyday part of life. I mean, if you just listen to the language, people are saying, I'm going home to Showmax tonight, I'm going home to mm. Netflix tonight. Yeah. That's part of life. But what we're starting to see from the SVOD perspective is that um, people only still have that budget, limited budget, what they're going to spend on content. So we're seeing a lot more um, move towards aggregators and alliances and people coming together to bring a benefit to one another. So, you know, they're not going to sign up for seven different services, but you're going to see the, the relationships, as you can see now with MultiChoice, they've put Netflix onto the mm. decoder. You can ha- you can, they can have the benefit of the billing system and the customer base that um, MultiChoice has. So I think a partnership mindset is one that I would encourage any young marketer to have because when it comes to e-commerce, who's your partner from a career perspective? To every facet mm. of marketing yep. is... Don't think you have to do it all yourself. Who else can you build on the back of another successful brand to be more successful yourself? So looking for, it's a different mindset that we used to have in the past. Well, I think that's a great way to wrap it up. And I think partnership and integrated vertical partnerships all the way across the board and horizontal for that matter as well is the way to go. And Corin, thanks for, for coming in today. I really appreciate it. Doc, you and I are in a long-term relationship, so I'll see you <laughs> next week. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, Gordon, you just caught me a little bit. I wasn't, yeah, no, there's no snoozing in the studio. Yeah, I was. This is not Zoom. I can watch you nodding off there. Corin, <laughs> uh, thanks very much for your time. We really appreciate it. Uh, and those insights, and again, you know, get onto Kantar's site. Those uh, resources are available. Educate yourself, be part of the discussion. And Gordon, yeah, until next week, we'll catch you then. Ciao. Oh, thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> And so that was another episode of The Doc and the Guru. Please don't uh, forget to get a hold of us on Facebook, like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond. And hopefully we can bring that into the show. Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Miller, the Guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us at our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry.